Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology, and today I am joined by my friend and colleague Alex Amorosi to talk about your horoscopes for the month of November. Uh, you guys know Alex, he's my regular horoscope wingman, and I'm really glad to have him here every month helping me break down uh, your major transits of the month. Um, we'd go through all 12 signs, so you can feel free to jump ahead. We have timestamps. If you if you want to, you can jump ahead and hear what we have to say about your uh, sun, moon, or rising sign, whichever you prefer to listen to. We recommend you listen to your rising sign every month because that's going to correlate to the whole sign house version of your birth chart, which is um, the most accurate in, in our opinion. Uh, but you can, some people listen to their sun sign, so whatever you want to do. Uh, we're going to be looking at a few major transits Alex and I will discuss here at the beginning, so you might want to listen to the beginning portion so you can hear us talk about why we're focusing on the transits that we're focusing on this month, um, and then we'll be getting into it. Uh, and so um, before I go any further, don't forget to like and subscribe. Share your comments and reflections as you uh, take in your horoscope for the month. Tell us what you're anticipating, or maybe in some ways, how you see the transits already starting to shape up. Uh, if you want, you can find a transcript of today's talk on the website, nightlightastrology.com. Um, I'm going to take you over there right now, because as you guys know, our new class, Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic, begins on November 18th. If you click on the courses page, first year course, you can learn all about it. We are still accepting enrollments. The course starts pretty soon. There's 30 classes on the year. They are all held via live webinar, but everything is recorded and hosted on a class website where you can listen, watch, or download all of the material in the course. There's, um, it's a really immersive program into the roots of ancient Hellenistic Greek astrology with a sort of modern archetypal and psychological twist. Uh, between major units of study, we have breakout study uh, sessions led by our tutoring staff, and we also have an interactive forum discussion where you can ask questions of our tutoring staff throughout the entire year. You can email me throughout the entire year. There's a lot of bonus material and guided homework. If you want to do that, uh, do that work. Some people take the class and they take the certification exam at the end because they want to go professional. Sometimes people take the course because it's just your hobby and you're doing it for your own spiritual enrichment. So there's ways of taking the course that are really there to meet your needs. Uh, at the bottom, you'll find the different payment options. Early bird saves you $500 off. Check out the payment plan because that allows you to uh, avoid one big payment up front and spread it out over 12 months. And also be sure to check out the need-based tuition option, which is there for people who might need to work within a fixed or tight budget for one reason or another. We know that some people, um, in order to not push yourself outside of your means, you need a little help for whatever reason. Um, please feel free to use that. We want to make sure that no one's priced out of studying astrology if it is your sincere desire to do so. Um, I also am promoting, uh, you know, about once a week, we take some time to promote something from Astrology Hub, which are uh, good friends of mine. So we're going to be taking just a minute to point you over to Astrology Hub, where you can find Astrologer Connect. Uh, astrologyhub.com, they host a lot of cool things, including courses and podcasts. I have worked for them several times and been a part of many of their programs. A lot of my colleagues, friends, former students have worked for them. I really um, admire the way that they focus on spiritual astrology, even if some of the people on staff come from a totally different school of astrology from myself. These are all heart-centered astrologers, and I've gotten a chance to know them personally over the years uh, as well, which has been really cool. At any rate, the thing that I'm excited to promote is their reading service. Until we get ours up and running in 2024, uh, they have a really nice service for people who are looking for a reading that is quicker than what I can currently offer since my wait time is spread out a ways. 
So uh, if you go to Astrologer Connect, you can actually take a look at the different people on staff that they have. You can book readings in a variety of different formats that are very flexible. And when you do so, you can also take a quiz to get matched with the astrologer that really meets where you're coming from with astrology and what you're looking for in the service. Um, they also gave a nice promo code for our audience. The promo code is ADAM15. This is good to the end of November if you want to use it to save 15% off when you book a reading. Uh, a lot of the people on their staff of readers are people who have taught for me uh, and Nightlight, who I've traveled with or spent time with at professional conferences, who are former students in some cases, uh, or colleagues that have taught for my students before. So a really good collection of astrologers that I hope you will check out. And, um, you know, there's a lot of ways you can get in touch and ask questions with them too right there on this part of the page. So at the top of astrologyhub.com, just be sure that you go over to uh, readings and that will give you what you need to know. All right. So those are our promotions for the day. And I'm really excited uh, to now um, welcome back onto the show, Alex. Hey. Yo. <laughs> it's good to be back. Good for another month of astrology. We're coming off of eclipse season. Are you alive? So that's good. I'm alive. I, I've got yo and alive. <laughs> that's about, <laughs> that's right. about as much as yo, I got. <laughs> and I'm living. <laughs> yo, and I'm here. <laughs> well, I'm like, I feel like um, I'm I'm getting over a cold. We went to my sister's wedding last weekend during, it was like right after the eclipse. And yeah. it was Mercury, Kazemi, the sun and Mercury square Pluto over the whole weekend. Not surprisingly, like a bunch of people apparently got sick. Some people got COVID. And then I came home and we tested negative for COVID. We all have bad colds. My whole family got stuck in the airport for nine hours with the delays and stuff. And then we got home. It was funny because we were in the airport and we were just about to catch our flight. And I go, well, that was pretty, I mean, considering all the astrology, that was like pretty stress-free. And then nine hour delay, we get home and everyone's <laughs> sick. <laughs> I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> we'll never learn as astrologers to say, Oh, it doesn't seem so bad. That's when the boot gets you right in the ass. It's like Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a there's a famous basketball player named Dikembe Matumbo, or he used yeah. to be, and he had this thing where he'd wag his finger, like, no, no, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That yeah. that's uh that's what the planets were doing to me. <laughs> yeah. It, that was wild astrology, man. And you know, this whole window has been really profound is the Libra diplomatic word I'll use for it, but yeah. really interesting series of eclipses. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about it a lot in terms of how it showed up in my sister's chart because my sister mm. was getting married and I won't go through the whole details of her chart because I don't have permission. But one thing I will say is that those transits, which were the Mercury Kazemi in Libra, the square to Pluto from the sun and Mercury, mm. um, they all hit in places in her chart that were correlating to people that she might hire in the mm. process of the wedding one mm. of the things that happened the only like super dramatic thing that happened there were two of them uh one was that after the wedding a guest passed out they were like dehydrated and they had to be taken to the hospital and thankfully they just needed to be hydrated yeah. so it wasn't right. like you know. but uh, i was an older person you know out in the sun that kind of thing so uh that was a little dramatic but the real dramatic thing was the night before the wedding she got a call from one of the people who was doing hair and makeup that i guess you know the, the sort of person who she had hired to do this, that their mother was in a near death accident and was on life support from a head on collision. And so with like 12, I mean, of course her first, her first thing was just like, Oh my God, are you okay? Like, you know, yeah. then it, second was like, we don't have someone to do our hair and makeup. Cause she was going immediately down to some other state to be with her mother who had been in this accident. So yeah. the wedding planner ended up 
getting in touch with a sub to do makeup and hair for like a whole bunch of women. And, and she brought a team with her with like less than 12 hours notice. So that was like that little scene, you know, which of course everyone was, there's a lot of emotions with something like that, you know, it's like, Oh wow, that's so, so heavy. And we, we still have to figure out how to coordinate all of this. That was the only drama, but it was really interesting because it hit in my sister's chart, like, you know, perfectly. Like it was like, Oh wow, that's there. That is, you know, yeah, it's so interesting, too, because like this series of eclipses that Sarah's cycle was informed by a Mars-Pluto square or mm -hmm. infused with Mars-Pluto square just after Mars had squared Pluto on the way out of Libra. And so that sort of sudden crisis eruptive energy, I think, was I, I saw that happen in my own life in many ways, too. I won't go into all of them, but it just like all of this sudden, oh, my God, or holy shit moments yeah. that come about, um, but fast moving. That's something yeah. I forget with Mars-Pluto, too, is that it tends to be faster moving in that sort of eruptive idea. Yeah. I had, so this was the first time speaking of that, that I had all my, my mom, my dad, my sister and I were all in the same place since my wedding nine, mm. nine years ago under the same loot uh, eclipses Libra, mm. but flipped obviously. Um, and I just was taking it in. I was like, cause my parents are divorced. So, you know, when are we all together in the same place at this point in life? It's probably, as they say, marriages and funerals, you know, right. So thank God it was, it was yeah. a marriage, you know yeah. I mean? But, yeah. um, but it was like, it was, it was its own kind of heaviness being there with my whole family, but it's a, a broken family in a way. So, you know, it's like, that was like heavy. But then the thing that was really impactful for me was I had like that weekend, there was the way that I was processing that was all in my dreams. So oh, like wow. my, the weekend was filled with some of the most lucid and powerful dreams that I've had in years. I mean, and it, and it was like, okay. And that's the thing is that sometimes you think the eclipse is going to hit in one way for me that weekend with all those transits that it was, a, it wasn't anything that happened externally. It was all mm -hmm. a lot of deeply internal stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, I found that with transits too. And I try to surrender to them <laughs> now where I tell this to the clients too. Like it's never what you think it's going to be. You can have this whole drama and fear and all the things, even as us as astrologers, right? We, we know the sort of combinations that it can be, but rarely does it turn into the, like the things that happened in my life. I was like, oh, that's how this is coming about. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Like what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, all right, let's game on. Let's, let's do that. But um, it really is a, a wonderful practice. I think of sort of like, here's the weather. Yeah. And the weather's showing up like this. And so yeah. uh, it's not the, you know, the storm you thought it was going to be, but it's right. always interesting. If you're playing chess with the planets, not that there's something you're trying to win, I guess maybe that doesn't work. But if you're playing chess with the planets, it's like, you know, the parameters of the game, you know, the rules, you know, the moves on the board, but somehow the move that the planets make always surprises you. You're always like, oh, mm -hmm. wow, I didn't see that move. You know, it's mm -hmm. there. It's among the possibilities on the board. But I just wasn't thinking about that one in particular. And that's one of the things I love. And, and people are like, you know, sometimes I've, I've almost, especially people who don't know astrology very well, who don't know this experience, they'll be like, well, doesn't that mean that you're sort of making everything up and just retrofitting everything? And I'm like, nah, not really, because, you know, you know, the archetypal combinations, you can list them out on paper you just won't be able to predict how that archetypal combination exactly. will literally show up. Exactly. So it's, it's pretty amazing. But anyway, we digress. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. More Scorpio so gonna, Taurus. I know more Scorpio Taurus this month. That's it. So let's put up the real time clock and take a look at the transits that we have chosen to focus on for the month of November. Um, we have 
a couple of transits that I think take the cake. Uh, the month begins with some of these happening right away across Taurus Scorpio. Month begins with the sun opposite Jupiter. Uh, and the month begins with um, these two planets, Mars and Mercury, gradually working their way into an opposition with Uranus. Uh, there's also a new moon that's going to form uh, in the sign of Scorpio opposite Uranus. So let's take a look at these transits one at a time, and then we'll sort of tell you how we're going to work with them in the horoscopes. So November 3rd, Sun opposes Jupiter <clears throat> across the Taurus and Scorpio axis. Uh, and then we also move to November 4th, the next day, we get a Mercury opposition to Uranus. And I'm just kind of, I'll just kind of broadly point these oppositions out. You can see all of them forming across here. So the first couple days of the month, it's Sun opposite Jupiter, uh, Scorpio Taurus, Mercury opposite Uranus, Scorpio Taurus. We go on to November 11th, and then Mars is going to be opposite Uranus, Scorpio Taurus. On the 13th, this to me is probably the biggest transit of the month because it's a tone setter that will uh, ring out like a bell through an entire lunation cycle. And that is, uh, actually, let me back this up just a tiny bit so we can see the actual new moon here. But that's going to be uh, a new moon. And the new moon will be almost exactly opposite Uranus. So here's the new moon in Scorpio, and you can see it's less than a degree off from the opposition to Uranus. Mars is just a degree off the opposition to Uranus. On the 13th, same day, Sun will oppose Uranus. So you can see why we're focusing on this, because the first half of the month, and then the entire lunation cycle to follow, carries the signature of Uranian opposition or Taurus-Scorpio opposition, a little bit of Jupiterian opposition from the place of Scorpio. So this month is once again highlighting the Scorpio-Taurus axis, and we're coming off the October 28th lunar eclipse in Taurus as well, which of course happens across the Scorpio-Taurus axis. So that's why we're looking at this uh, so closely this month. Now, as the month goes on, there are other things to talk about, but none of them as concentrated, consistent, and repetitive as the first half of the month's um, opposition across this axis. And again, because the new moon on the 13th hits this note, it carries it all the way into December. I mean, the entire lunation cycle will carry that original Uranian note, the karmic consequences of which will be sort of spreading out like the, you know, like a bell and its sound waves moving outward. So that's why we're looking at it this month. What we're going to do is I'm not going to have any date up other than this new moon on the board, which is just a way of symbolically capturing the focus of our horoscopes for today. Um, let me switch back over and we will now dive into our horoscopes one sign at a time. As always, Alex and I are just going to alternate so that um, we can... Uh, each take some time focusing on a sign and then adding commentary to each other's takes. And that's a nice way also of just like um, kind of divvying up the responsibilities creatively 
uh, I find that I get, I'm like, by the time I get to Virgo, if I'm just going straight through, I'm like, I'm out of gas. So, <laughs> so it's, there's a new it's really, moon opposite Uranus. It's opposite Uranus. Okay. <laughs> I know, I know exactly. What's <laughs> really nice to, I, I really appreciate carrying the cross of horoscopes. With <laughs> Fuck horoscopes, man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> if I can make your burden a little bit easier, Adam, I, it serves I my purpose for being Dude, here, man. <laughs> it's like, but consistently they're like 25,000 views for that one video, you know? So I it's know. Like, well, you gotta I do know. it. <laughs> I hear you. Anyway. Hear you. Okay. So let's go ahead and uh, we'll start. We're going to start with Aries on the ascendant. This places the oppositions across the second and eighth house. Remember, we're coming off from a lunar eclipse in Taurus in your second house if you're in Aries rising. So the way I like to look at this axis, especially given the strong Uranian signature in the second house, has to do with a liberation of assets, meaning that I want to change the nature of what I call my own, what I have, what I'm in possession of, and, and probably in contrast to what I owe other people or how I'm indebted, obligated uh, to other people. So you have a lot of emphasis with Mars Uranus across this house about um, independence versus dependence when it comes to resources. And the Mars Uranus opposition, if you're in any kind of situation where you feel obligated to someone, the desire to break free from obligations will be especially intense for Aries folk. Now, at the same time, it could be that someone is uh, someone you're working with or have some kind of bond with is wanting to break free of on their side of the commitment. But I could see anything from contractual to energetic, emotional, financial resources um, that are uh, shared going through some period of evaluation. Do we want to keep working like this? Do are you getting enough out of this? Am I getting enough out of this? Uh, how can we? Uh, change the situation so that each person feels um, more empowered by the dynamic. That might be a, a, a more cooperative way of looking at it, but I could also see real conflicts over ownership, over rights, over possessions and objects, and also just some kind of reorientation with how we're using or valuing things that we have. Uh, so those are the main things that I'm seeing uh, with respect to the Aries folks. you want to uh, add anything? You know, I've been thinking, I was looking at this new moon through the houses of an hour ago, just like as getting ready for this. And I was thinking about the, the Scorpio moon, uh, opposing Uranus, Scorpio new moon, like the degeneration of things that have felt familiar, the, the breaking away of things that have felt familiar, that have felt safe, that have felt like they've contained us for a while. And the courage maybe with Mars there too, to really, you know, Scorpio really incisively look honestly at things. And I think in that eighth house is really looking at, like you were saying, Adam, that the energetic exchange in whatever way I have it with others, the way I'm exchanging either money or time or even just energy with others. And with Uranus there, Uranus is a great ally in that sense of like, you know, if it's not serving your worth, your value, if you're not feeling like you're being uplifted or at least equal on equal footing with, with another, it might be a time where Uranus just says, you know what, this, this is time for something to end. It might end suddenly. So you want to be mindful, I think, always with Uranus to try to as best as possible maybe have the idea suddenly but implement a plan with it as well it's a good thing it's in taurus for that i think but then having a sense of like there might be a brand new way forward you never considered i think uranus is fabulous for that feeling of 
I never thought of that before until that transit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, my mind has been illuminated. So those are right. some on those same <laughs> themes. That's what I have with that. Yeah. I think peripherally, it's nice to note that Venus is in her own rulership in oh, the seventh see. house for Aries folks, because that might just make things a little softer and more compromising, it, it, easier to harmonize because these transits are a little bit more contentious when it comes to like, it's mine. No, it's mine. I want this. Yeah. You want that. So uh, that might be nice to have Venus around. Um, well, let's move on to uh, Taurus. I'll let, I'll hand this one over to you and I'll highlight the access for you as we go. Awesome. Thanks. So um, <laughs> I think it's just generally nice to have Venus in rulership anyways. I'm just going <laughs> to say that like, I'm glad yeah. to have her there. You know, it's, it's nice to have. And I think, um, all right, so let's look where it gets distracted. So Taurus rising, you have the uh, new moon in Scorpio in your seventh house. You have the uh, opposition Uranus and Jupiter in your first house. I, I could see something here where there's a there's been a familiar, maybe safe, emotionally contained way of being in relationship that maybe has not allowed you to explore the full range of your honest desires. Like when you really look down deep inside of yourself, things that you want to explore that you maybe haven't felt you could explore or that weren't able to be expressed or weren't able to be talked about that as this new moon comes through and those ideas start to move away there's a sense with uranus in your first house of your identity being able to be totally revamped like a total like kind of reinvention if that's what's at hand something that allows you to through really exploring maybe in dialogue in relationship or the way you're relating to others in getting in touch with what you're in your heart really looking for or really desiring or really wanting, there's something that maybe challenges your identity in a a pretty powerful way, but also feels liberating. Like, oh, I can't believe I lived with the weight of that shame or that guilt or that secret or whatever it is for so long. And I just feel totally free now from that. Yes. Yeah, it's great to think that relationships could be facilitating um, growth by exposing the Tauruses to their shadows. Yes. You know, like, you know, I I did this video recently where we talked about bull from heaven or minotaur below the castle. And we were talking about the mythology of Taurus. Well, Scorpio is the minotaur below the castle in Mm -hmm. a sense. It doesn't, that does not mean that Scorpio is a monster. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that there's a lot that Taurus will sort of project onto Scorpio in the seventh house. Let's, let's call it in other people that are, that actually are part of a Taurus. You know, it's like, Because Taurus is like, oh, I'm I'm lovely, you know, I'm so I'm so lovely, and I'm so sweet and simple and peaceful and grounded and stable and productive and healthy and happy and blah blah blah. blah. That, but then then there's this like, but I'm a control freak, possessive, lusty, <laughs> you know, like, and that's like when we don't when we refuse to look at those things, they have to come up through the provocation of intimate relationships and people that somehow show it to us. Exactly. And so I think there's there's something that could be quite liberating about, you know, a a, a, a tussle, an emotional uh, tussle that comes up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, possession in a lot of ways in, in its in sort of symbolic sense is something from the unconscious that compulses you, but you don't know why. And yes. I think Scorpios are really good at just like boring right down to what's the essence of this, the true essence of what's going on. And it, it, there's a certain amount of freedom that comes from that usually. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, let's go on to Gemini. This places the new moon and all of the month's oppositions across the 12th and 6th house axis. 
And I mean, the one thing we can say for Geminis and Sages who have this across that access is like, well, at least it's pretty much over now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, well, you know, you've, <laughs> you know, it's like you got the last eclipse. <laughs> you, you know, and at the very least, like you're getting, so you got this moon cycle. Uh, but pretty soon after Mars is moving out of your sixth, you have Jupiter Uranus conjoining in the 12th to look forward to, which is a pretty nice way. And then in not too long, you got Uranus moving into your first house in the summer of 2025. So it feels to me like you're still, if you're a Gemini, you're still in it right now. You're, there's, mm -hmm. there's, I mean, remember that one of the core ways of looking at the mythology of Gemini rising is that you as a person are meant to explore opposite ideas about who you are opposite and opposing alternating images of self. And sometimes that'll happen in and through relationships, in and through jobs, in and through courses of study, in and through, you know, clothing choices, uh, sexual, uh, sexual choices or identity. I mean, so many, do, it's so experimental, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that's really hard for Gemini's is um, sometimes opposite parts of ourself that we are uncomfortable with, um, we, we try to shove them somewhere. You know, we try to, it's like, I'm not going to look at that, you know? Um, so 12th and sixth house transits will come up that will be frustrating and confounding that will bring things up from the unconscious and that will force a, a Gemini to look at opposite images that are less comfortable to inhabit. That's not who I'm. I'm a child of light. I don't want to look at the dark twin, you know, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. The, the 12th house in particular right now is going to be a very liberating place for you in really short time. So I would, the advice that I would have for Gemini's is like whatever kinds of conflicts and dramas are coming up that you're having to uh, work through, you're having to persevere through, which is a very sixth house theme uh, that, you know, where sacrifices required, where are you having to do the deep work of looking at unconscious material in your life, blind spots that you have, blind spots that you have about yourself or other people or other situations. And know that if you keep doing that work, if you keep persevering and sticking with the work, even if you're uncertain what the outcome will be, there will be this radical rebirthing that's it's coming very shortly. It really gets going in the spring of 2024 uh, in April when Jupiter and Uranus come together. That's like a foreshadowing of Uranus breaking into your first house, Jupiter next June going into your first house. So there's a lot of light coming from, from Gemini's and a feeling of having wrestled with something in the dark and come out feeling reborn and more capable and, you know, like I just earned some stripes or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, but you have to stick with it. You have to be willing to um, persevere, sacrifice, and be willing to look at uncomfortable stuff. And no better ally for that than Mars and Scorpio in the sixth house. Mars and its joy and its rulership. And yeah. Mars and Scorpio does not relent. It's, um, I think that, you know, the recognition, I think, with, with Gemini's, it's interesting, Mercury ruled signs, is that it's this or that often with Mercury, right? I'm either this or I'm that. And I think that the, one of the reasons that uh, Mercury ruled signs often want to shove the darkness away is like, if I let the darkness in, then it totally takes over. It's, it's me, it becomes me. And I think that this Scorpio sixth house uh, new moon 
is a really nice way to be like, wait a second, I can really take a look at that. I can examine it. I can get inside of it. And through doing that, I actually discovered just another aspect of myself that really wasn't that scary in the first place and isn't going to take me over. It's not going to become the bad twin that takes me over forever. And I think that Uranus really helps with that too, because Uranus just brings that, that big inhale and exhale that allows, allows the clearing of some maybe more entrenched energy or things that have just been off in the shadows for a while. Yeah. I love that. One other thing that popped into my mind while you were talking was the presence of Mercury uh, in Sagittarius where it's in its uh, exile. And I just thought, you know, something that, and I have Mars and Gemini, so like I'm no stranger to this pattern myself. You know, one thing that Gemini's love to do is if there's someone in their life that's sort of close to them and they, I like what you're doing, you know, but I wish it would have been my thing. So I'm going to do the opposite of what you're doing, you know? Yeah. And um, it's funny how, like, I've noticed, because again, Mars and Gemini, my own chart. Eventually, the Gemini has to come around to being like, I can do something that someone else is doing and it doesn't make me unoriginal. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I don't have Big to, time. I don't have to do the opposite thing just to be opposite. Um, and, and like, I feel like there might be a little bit of frustration in the air right now with other people. And the tendency to want to polarize yourself in relation to other people. But I would look very carefully at the shadow of what you actually love or admire or how you might be alike someone rather than different from them. That might be something to consider. Just because it's a Gemini tendency doesn't mean that this will be happening for everyone, but it's something to think about. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Let's move on to Cancer Rising. And uh, we'll look at the uh, 5th and 11th. Great. So you've got, um, for my Cancer Rising, you have, this is interesting. So you have a new moon in Scorpio, conjunct Mars in your fifth house, opposing Uranus and Jupiter uh, in your 11th house. So I actually really see this as a, you know, I'm really going to stop caring what other people think about what brings me happiness, joy, pleasure. I'm going to you know, I could see Uranus in the 11th house here being something that sort of shakes up a friend group or shakes up a social situation or a social group in some way where it's like, you know, I, I haven't liked either feeling uh, judged or feeling like I can't fully be myself or feeling like I can't express myself well. And that in Scorpio and the fifth house, there's like a personal boring into what really makes me happy and creatively fulfilled, what really brings me pleasure. And a less of a and a, a sense of I don't have to stay fixed in this sort of pleasing Venusian way in the 11th house and Taurus of what will make others happier, make me, you know, sort of seem simple and nice and wonderful and all these things that we could associate with Taurus. There's a sense of, again, a liberation, but really around like what brings me fulfilling personal pleasure mm-hmm. and allowing myself to be liberated by Uranus from like, you know, places or situations, groups, uh, networks that maybe don't appreciate that or you haven't been able to fully express it. I'm thinking of, you know, my wife who's a cancer rising and she's, um, you guys know, a lot of people here know Ashley. She has been um, thinking since we moved to Minnesota and Uranus is been ingressing into her 11th house just it was just pretty fresh into her 11th when we moved to minnesota so the a lot of this has been about new social professional uh uh, so you know social groups and professional groups in in a new location um 
one of the things that she has been working on is patience with the process of finding the right community and the right mm. people. And, you know, like slowly letting it develop and build and making sure that you're doing so as you're simultaneously taking steps in the right personal direction creatively. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I find the right people as I also find my own creative footing in a new environment. Right. You can't just find the people to fit an old idea of who you were. You find the right people or spaces or communities or friends because you're finding the new person that you are in the new space as much as you find the people and they also help you establish who the new you is. So it's this kind of conversation and she's been reflecting on the back and forth between that lately. And I've been like, yes, oh, your eclipse is going back and forth across that health axis. <laughs> exactly. and, you know, and it's also like big cre new creative directions that are emerging for cancers right now. Yeah. Deep, intense. Yeah. New, you know, it's like the fifth house, for example, is like, okay, you know, um, you know, imagine how your life is going to change if if you're having your first baby or something. Like, okay, mm -hmm. well, we're gonna we're gonna take a. So my whole life is going to change. Now I'm going to start to be friends with more of the people in my crowd who are moms or something like that. You know. Mm -hmm. So you think about how cancers right now are going through this creative and social awakening, and mm -hmm. um, the two are shaping each other cooperatively. That's how I would look at it. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. All right, let's go on to, uh, well, it's always fun when we get to Leo because is it Taurus and Leo, then we get, we got all, we know exactly what Wait, to say. I know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> our, our, our own rising signs. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> go, Adam, tell me my life. Tell me. I know. <laughs> Dear Leo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's only two signs that get a deer before it. It's Cancer and Leo. Exactly. <laughs> dear Cancer, dear Leo. <laughs> so we have the the new moon forming in the fourth house, opposite the uh, Jupiter and Uranus, especially Uranus in the tenth. You know, in my opinion, for Leos, a lot of this will. You have two ways that this could go. There's a, there's like kind of a an emphasis on some kind of. Um, deeper emotional magic and chaos happening around home, family roots, living environment, you know, like it's the kind of period, especially with the eclipses that we've had. And so you could be coming off a time in your life where you've moved, you've relocated, you've moved in with a lover, your mom has died. You know, it could be really intense, deep transformational stuff happening around the, the kind of resting place of your life, the, the home and domestic sphere. Um, on the other hand, I think that this could be the kind of thing where if there's been a lot that's stewing unconsciously around these subjects, but nothing has happened yet, where we finally are coming to the end of a, of a long cycle. And then you see, especially the Mars Uranus opposition coming after the, the lunar eclipse and Taurus and stuff like that, that um, things are ready to, to pop somehow. Yeah. This is actually the time where the move occurs or that, you know, and it's funny because you think, well, maybe I've been through a year and a half of Scorpio eclipses in the fourth house or some of you, a lot's probably already happened if you're a Leo rising, but for another good portion of people, it will actually be this very tail end of the process that creates the most transformation because sometimes the Scorpio is about build, 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 blow. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, you have to watch that kind of eruptive volcanic energy around home, family, parents, living environment, 
dealing with things that have been brewing but are now ready to pop because Mars opposite Uranus will at a new moon will sort of make it do that within the cycle ahead. I also wonder though about the um, juxtaposition between you know your public facing self and your inner or private world if you're a Leo rising. Well, there's a lot of emphasis right now on a kind of a, a, a transformation of career that looks pretty victorious, like especially by April when Jupiter and Uranus get together. For Leos, I think this is a breakthrough. You know, you've got you're going to another level. Your your reach is further, uh, or your your platform or your uh, position is going to be um, better suited or more creative or maybe more rewarding somehow. You're taking a big leap. That's Jupiter Uranus is like, just leap. Don't look, just leap. Mm -hmm. So there's something like that happening for Leos in terms of their public facing self, their calling, their work. But it's also happening as you're having to reconcile with this deep, you know, kind of deep, dark, watery uh, energy around the roots. Uh, that's how I'm seeing it right now. But you're our official Leo rising. So what do you see? Well, I see all of that. <laughs> That's all happening. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's been a really, really wild ride with that fourth that fourth house, uh, tenth house. I think that you know um, what what I've discovered personally is uh, there's a sense of the really coming to terms with the truth of some of the more private spheres in my own life, I'm going to speak for myself here, but, but really some of the, the deeper, more private spaces in my own life that have allowed me to sort of put the past behind me to shoot off to where I want to go in my career. And I think that there was a lot of fear of what'll, what if people knew, what if people saw, what if people this, right? There was a lot of hiding that was going on that I, I'm discovering as I released that in the fourth houses, especially around sort of an ancestry and all these things. I feel so liberated and excited about going off to new heights as my own self in my career. And I think that there's, um, it is a very victorious feeling that Jupiter at the top of the chart, Jupiter and Uranus up there is just a sense of like, I have gone through, I have slain the dragons. I have found the ring. I have thrown the ring in the volcano. I have got Darth Vader. I got, who else did I need to, you know, go down the list of all yeah. the, the villains I got. And now I rock a ship off somewhere else. And, mm -hmm. um, and it is, you know, just around home too. I've, I've had a lot of, um, stuff where I'm just refiguring my home situation and what I'm going to do with my home and, and upcoming, especially in the next six months, am I going to live here? I'm going to live somewhere else. And so it, that's all been coming up too, just in the, just in the, uh, external yeah. look of the astrology too. Yeah. Yep. Let's move it. Whoops. Here we go. Uh, let's move it along to Virgo and, mm -hmm. um, Let's see here. Let me draw the axis out. So we've got third and ninth house. Oh, not the big arrow, faith. but a slightly bigger one. It's okay. We can't. We can't always. <laughs> it's, it's like the big arrow was like, okay, I I heard you, so I'm toning it down like a little. I'm still on a cigarette break, so you can <laughs> <laughs> deal with this. That's fun. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh man. All right. So, um, I, I like, I like this transit a lot for, for Virgo rising. Uh, you have, uh, the Scorpio, uh, transits and new moon in your third house. You have Jupiter Uranus in your ninth house. This seems to me to be like kind of a, um, this actually seems kind of exciting that, you know, if you felt in your environments that surrounds you every day, whether it's your mental environment or your, your sort of neighborhood, your home environment, the things that you're sort of familiar with. And there might be a sense of like, as, as, 
the familiarity of that is moving away somehow or being transformed somehow there's this real opportunity towards a whole new set of an expansive set of spiritual beliefs maybe even a lot of travel a feeling of like not being rooted in the same place or same environment all the time but maybe like a a sense where there's an exploration or an experimentation and location that wants to come up around this or during the cycle um and just you know with that ninth house i think it always comes to me with like a uranus there like a reordering of philosophies or the studying of philosophies or maybe the study of i don't know maybe study of astrology or something you maybe never thought you would actually study or go into there's a a liberation that comes where it's like well why couldn't i why couldn't mm -hmm. i do that why couldn't i move off in that less familiar direction i love that i'm one of the things that came to my mind was how does a scientific or spiritual or religious revolution occur? You know, whether it's Galileo or like uh, Luther, you know, in the, the Protestant movement or whatever. I'm, those are the examples that come to my mind. There are probably others in every part of the world. Um, one of the things that I think happens is like the ecosystem, the everyday mind is disturbed not necessarily in a bad way. It's just like it's agitated or it's shaken up because something new enters the environment. So like, okay, here's a good example. If you think about um, in the history of astrology, how does astrology as a system, a ninth house kind of thing, astrology belonged to the ninth house traditionally, how does it evolve or change? Well, one of the ways it evolves or changes is it is somehow passed into the hands of a new culture. Arab, Persian, Indian, you know, Greek, Latin, uh, you know, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Islam, whatever, different religions, different cultures. So when they carry the thing, astrology, astrology is now in a different environment. Uh -huh. The environment starts slowly commenting on, reflecting on, adding to, subtracting to the system until somehow there's a revolution and the system sort of breaks and becomes something different. And I think that that is a third ninth house dynamic. Right? Mm -hmm. So third house is like your every day. Well, in this case for Virgos, let's put it this way. You're in the midst of a revolution of your belief system, of your way of seeing the universe or the world or God or whatever. But it's not, it's really, I would think April when Jupiter hits Uranus again, that that's mm -hmm. going to be a really big moment. But right now is a great cycle for the seeds of that revolution to be planted by something in the environment that serves to start agitating the larger structure in a very everyday kind of way. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're mm -hmm. suddenly, for example, if you work in an environment that has no light, no plants, no colors, and then suddenly you're placed into an environment that has window light coming in and plants and colors, you get happier slowly and gradually you go, wow, I'm happier. How is that? You didn't, and you don't even put it together that it's windows, plants, and colors every day. Mm -hmm there's something very everyday and subtle and deep. And maybe it's a little bit more obvious because of the Mars Uranus signature in your environment that is going to stimulate a larger change in the months to come. And you'll really feel it in April. Oh, I love that. You know, it's, you think about too, if you think from like the scientific revolution or just even like, you know, the, the whole rediscovery of the heli heliocentric, uh, uh, you know, the solar system, that's something that seems very scorpionic too, in the sense of like, this is a, something we take for granted now, but it altered 
from a very small shift in perception, the entire view of the universe at that time. But it was right there. And they had, you know, those scientists were up against a lot of of, uh, pushback against that at that time. So you had to be had that Scorpio sort of determination with that as well. Yeah. 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 Something even that's being subtly called into question, right? That you think like, well, I I mean, I don't know if that's a thing or whatever. And then six months around, it's like, well, that was a thing, you know, (laughs) you know, (laughs) exactly. All right. So here we are. We're going across the and there it is. There it is. I actually, I, I'll just tell you, I did that one. I just wanted to bring it out. Oh, I felt Adam. Bad. Look, it, it, you know, some, it's the funniest thing because I have no idea how this happens. I use this thing called Epic Pen. And when I select the arrow, like sometimes it just appears huge. But I think that was the first time that it ever was like, well, I'm one of the bigger ones, but not the biggest. You know, so I was like, well, it's okay. You can come. I'll let you come out, you know. Love it. <laughs> oh, All right. God. Uh, second and eighth this, house. Oh, is this, this me? Is no, this is me. Oh, okay, that's you. Yeah, no, it's me. Sorry, my bad. Okay. Sorry. I always forget. I always, yeah, I was like looking at Libra and I was like, it's Alex's turn. No, it's mine. I started with Aries. So um, second and eighth house again. And the same thing I would say that I said for the Aries folks, which is that you're looking at uh, a process around resources. The difference is that there's something with Jupiter and Uranus moving toward conjunction in your eighth house by April. And I mentioned this for like almost every sign you're looking at a liberation, awakening, revolution, greater freedom, more possibilities coming through the house that properly speaking belongs to other. It's like other people's stuff. So I would see this as a time where you have to be open to the magic that other people might bring. Whereas the the Scorpio energy in the second house might be um, more suspicious, maybe even a little bit paranoid, withholding, withdrawing, holding cards close, not wanting the help of someone or something else, being a little distrusting or suspicious. I think at least one major possibility here is that what we're looking at is a moon cycle that's testing your ability to actually receive something of substance from other people. Whereas you, you may want to say no for some reason that's you should look at. Now, on the other hand, I would just say plainly, second, eighth house, you might be dealing with uh, conflicts around assets, money, resources, and the need to realign those kinds of soul contracts, let's call them, or karmic contracts. Um, you may be needing greater emotional independence. There may be some need to free yourself up from obligations or commitments that aren't working, especially where there's an exchange of energy and expectations. So broadly speaking, the same things applied that we said for Aries rising. But in particular, because the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction in the eighth is moving toward, it's a very positive transit that will, that combination, even just Jupiter in the eighth house will often bring really wonderful benefits and blessings that other people give you. Sometimes those come with expectations. There may be some hesitation about getting into something like that, but I think we're also for Scorpios. It's like you're you're warming up to other people having something of tremendous value to give that you can actually trust. Um, the reason I say that too is because the North Node in your chart right now as a Libra is in the seventh house. That points toward relationships, and you take the you take the ruler of that at this time in Scorpio in your second house. And you think about the conflict you might be feeling around other people's involvement in your things. 
right? And so there could be some conflict or tension there. The same time with Venus and Libra in your first house, you know, I think, again, that's a soft spot that I mentioned for Aries folks too, where there, there might be some greater grace or ease or flexibility that you're able to find to move through things rather than being too standoffish or um, like distrusting. Personally, as, as someone with three planets in Libra, I feel like Librans sometimes have a hard time accepting help because that in some way for Libras, it would like tip the social calculus. Yeah. And then there's the feeling sometimes of owing, like I have a Libra moon. So it's like, well, if I accept the help now, I have to evenly give back yes. immediately what I received because now it's out of balance. That's been a huge lesson for me over the years with the Libra moon. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Scorpio rising. Oh, I just love that. Uh, all right. So, you know, Scorpio Rising, I see this as a very body based transit in a lot of ways with the moon, the new moon. Um, and the, is that the is that the new arrow cursor? <laughs> <laughs> is that good? <laughs> I didn't write it. It just showed up. <laughs> oh my God, I feel like it's skywriting for me. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> you didn't have to do that. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is that cursor? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Scorpio risings. Uh, we'll stop. We'll stop being silly now because it's Scorpio rising. No, no silliness for that. But they'll um, get angry. So you they'll get want. angry. That's what you have to focus. Focus. <laughs> um, so we have a new moon opposing Uranus in your first house. I, I think this is very body based. I think that this is something around like identity, body psychology that is maybe um, the inception of something, even this might sound like a contradiction, but the inception of something that is being um, either broken down or, or taken away, not necessarily always in terms of your health. So, but, but something that like is being, um, uh, that is degenerating in some way to be rebuilt in another and through relationship. And it was just like we were saying with Libra, like the emphasis, the gravity well or the pull for Scorpios and Libras right now is to that North Node to Jupiter Uranus towards others, the other side of the chart. And I think that there's something here in your relationships that might, a freedom in relationship or a feeling of freedom in relationship, maybe a desire for freedom in relationship. I always think with Uranus in the seventh house, you just want to always check like the desire for freedom versus the actual need for freedom, those sorts of ideas, but some breath of fresh air and newness and freshness and experimentation that comes around the idea of relationships with Uranus that allows you to maybe um, pierce through to another layer of your psyche or work through another layer of your emotional realm, or maybe even just helps you become like, I don't know, there's a detox or a workout routine you go through in your body that help help you regenerate your body and your mind, your identity mm -hmm. in some way, but coming from the freedom or the, again, the big breath that happens in that seventh house with Uranus. Yeah. I like that. The only thing I would add is just that, <clears throat> again, there's a huge breakthrough coming in the spring in April with Jupiter and Uranus in the seventh house, a place of relationships, a, a place that, you know, I love the Indian, philosophical categories given to the four angular houses. So you think of Dharma in the first house, Kama in the in the seventh. You know, the first house, the weightiness of the new moon in the first house is all about Dharma. It's like, who am I? What am I doing? What, what do I represent? What adequately, it, whether it's clothing or attitude or behavior or anything else, it's like, does it reflect who I am or who I'm becoming? 
and sort of the management even of the body is a there's a sense of like um you know is my health or my body reflective of something essential about who i am mm -hmm. um so it's very serious self-serious in a way now, the seventh house is more like you know an invitation to go dancing with someone and to have a glass of wine and to you know maybe go to bed with your lover it, it has mm -hmm. such a there's such an emphasis on like letting go and of like ecstasy mm. and so i wonder about how much of oneself in any rising and setting signs but for, especially for scorpio right now how much of oneself can you like access the the in in what can you really do to refine who you are if you aren't also experiencing the loss of self in the ecstasy or love or intimacy of another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't think you can do it. And I think that's the mm -hmm. point of them being opposed, right? Mm -hmm. In in bhakti yoga, which of course I was really into for a couple of years, and it's still like a philosophically, I still identify with bhakti yoga, which is just the mm -hmm. yoga of devotion, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm a very devotional person in the way I do astrology and everything is very devotional for me. It's I think probably Cancerian a little bit or something. But in bhakti, it's like, well, you can't develop a personal relationship with the divine in a vacuum. It, you know, your personal relationship with the divine comes in and through your most intimate relationships with your lover, your friends, your children, your parent. I mean, everything, right? And so it, it's like relationship becomes the vehicle for self uh, unfolding or growth or whatever. And I think that it's harder for a fixed water sign like Scorpio that's so, um, you know, like I think, I think actually, you know, I'll just use Hilda because she's a good example. There's, I think you can see her laying on the floor back there. She's passed out. Oh, sweetie. Got her little oh. crock in the mouth. Yeah. So um, she's like the quintessential, she's a mastiff. She's like a quintessential guardian dog. Yeah. And like what I love is when there are no squirrels visible no Amazon people dropping a package off. And she has temporarily forgotten the very serious duty of killing anything that tries to come into the house, you know, <clears throat> and she just sort of chills out. And then she, she becomes so many other things. She becomes a playful dog, a curious dog, a tricky, you know, like she, all these different parts of her character come out when she's dropped out of the instinctual programming of like guardianship, which is like her mm -hmm. job. So it's important that she have it, but she, and you know what? She's a Scorpio. She was born in Scorpio season. Mm -hmm. So I always think about that with her because I'm like, it's like, it's like Scorpio. It's a good analogy for Scorpio in general. It's like how much of who you are meant to become has to be explored in spaces that are relaxed where you're not, mm -hmm having that like super defensive emotional radar for bullshit or predators or mm -hmm. instability or whatever. So I think that there's a lot of that kind of tension in the air right now for Scorpios. And I suspect that there will be a big invitation to like chill out and tap into the ecstasy piece um, by the spring. And some of that might be brewing right now. Absolutely. You know, I was thinking too, how much of our sense of self is formed by our reflection from others. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, Scorpios that are such an introvert, in, involuted sign that looks so much in, you know, allowing, recognizing that when others reflect, will reflect to you and see you, 
it's safe to let them do that. You know, that's so much, even in our early development, like, you know, your girls are in that age too, where, you know, they need to see you guys reflecting back their emotions and stuff like that. Like there's mm-hmm. such a sense of like allowing yourself to be seen and reflected back by another in ways in with Uranus there might really break open some really powerful places. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll tell, you know, it's really interesting because speaking of a Mars ruled sign in the first house, mm-hmm. my daughter has Mars in the first house. Uh, my mm-hmm. younger and like when she's really really seen and let's say she's being creative or she's singing and no one's there and i come in and i go oh my god look you're singing i love it you know she gets so angry and i'm just like no you didn't see it <laughs> like i did it i love it and now you can't push me away i love it when you sing you know whatever and it's like it's so funny because i'm like you know that's a mars in the first house kind of deal where it's like, I don't want to be seen because I feel vulnerable. Yes. You know? So, uh, but I mean, I like, well, at least she was born into, I guess, I mean, I keep thinking like, well, at least she was born into a family with people who are going to be like, no, we love what we see, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But you know, you know, not everyone gets that mirroring and and we do need it. Yeah, we do. It's really essential for us. Let's go on to Sagittarius. Remind me that I have something to say about the Lord of the Rings with Capricorn, if I forget. Oh, please. we got to bring them all in. <laughs> it's been that so long so, since we got to like, Lord of the Rings or Star I know. Wars or anything. Dude, dude, that was so, like, desperate and sincere. <laughs> oh, God. Please do talk about Lord of the Rings. Oh, I need to hear it. <laughs> well, my God. daughter, we I showed my youngest the Mars in the first house. Not surprisingly, by the way, after I showed her Star Wars, she... We happened to get her, uh, a friend of ours got her a sword, like a plastic, not not plastic, I don't know what it is, it's like a foam, it's like a Nerf sword. Yeah, yeah. And now she's like lightsabering and, you know, so. Okay, well, Sagittarius, we have uh, same kind of themes that Gemini had. This is, for Sag, okay, here's the thing I like to say about Sag rising and the mythology of Sag rising. You have the darkest time of the year sliding into the return of the light. And for the centaur in mythology, um, here's the kind of stories that I frequently hear. In fact, I, I had two or three clients in the past week that were Sag Risings that all had like a very similar story. Mm. I grew up in an environment that robbed me of my sense that the universe is a good, safe, faithful, benevolent place. And my life work is to restore some sense that the cosmos is good, just, beautiful, intelligent, and I can either be the like angry, destructive centaur that's nihilistic and was like wounded, or through work and through reclaiming a healthy form of faith, whatever that looks like, I can be like Chiron. I can be wise. I can be a sagely wise centaur who has the background of the the darkness and the sort of like reckless hedonistic free-spirited wild fuck you i don't believe in anything this is kind of this like intense nihilism with with sagittarius oh yeah but then there's this also this turn that many sag risings make to restore order to the universe starting with themselves and that's like such a com there's a lot of sagittarian stories but like that's a big one and um i would just say that right now for Sagittarians, when you have a lot of Scorpio stuff cooking in your 12th house, you're looking at either, you know, the, a new layer to the wounding. It's like, okay, well, I thought I had processed some of the stuff that 
was very disillusioning earlier in my life, you know. Um, but now I'm revisiting it in a new way. Mm -hmm. but, uh, there's someone in my family, I won't mention names, but there's someone in my family who as this transit, as these transits have been occurring in the 12th house, has been um, checking out a 12-step program mm. and rediscovering a faith that was lost. It, that par partially, I think, pushed them into 12th house stuff, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. you know, lost mm -hmm. their faith, go right into the shadows of the the, the darkness of the 12th, sad rising. You can, you can, a lot of the 12th house has to do with looking at the layers and layers of the hurt, the trauma, the pain, and then coming to terms with it. And that's yeah. a painful process, but ultimately a very redemptive one. It goes along very nicely with the mission of many Sag Rising stories. Mm -hmm. So I, I look at this and I say, yeah, you could be dealing with some stuff right now, but you have a choice. Are you, as stuff is coming up, maybe it's old stuff, maybe it's new stuff. Are you choosing to look at it in terms of the redemption storyline? How do I restore order to my personal universe? How do I restore faith or wisdom? Uh, you know, I like in 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 twelve step programs. They say the God of my understanding. It's a phrase mm -hmm. that's used. Mm -hmm. like, you know, because mm -hmm. not everyone has the same idea about what a higher power is or what you call yeah. it or whatever. But it's like, what is the higher power in your life that you have some sense of hope that you can do better than what you're doing, and that that hope rests in in something in the universe that could help restore health or happiness or whatever. That's a higher power that you, you could mm -hmm. say. Even astrology, mm -hmm. just looking and saying, oh, will there be better times ahead? You're trusting that the universe has seasons that might lift you up. There's, that's a higher power of your understanding. I think that Sages right now have the opportunity to either become more destructive, more reckless, dive deeper into a feeling of chaos and loss and so forth. Or you can look at what's happening and say, Am, is this providing me an opportunity to surrender and put my faith in something bigger? That's how that's oh. the one way that I would really, really look at this. And I think that when you see Jupiter and Uranus coming together in April in that sixth house, I think to myself, this is a time where if you've been putting in the work, Jupiter Uranus click in the sixth, and it's like the sacrifice pays off. There's a, a sense of having climbed a mountain or having, you know, if you, if you've put in the work, you'll be um in some ways rewarded by what Jupiter and Uranus will bring, which is probably a wave of hope and and kind of a redemptive storyline. Oh, I love that. I love all of that. I'm, I'm identifying a lot of that as a Sag Sun. Um, there's a lot in that for me. And I think that, you know, it's interesting. I just I just read Michael, just my partner just bought for me um, the Song of Achilles, which I really, really loved. And there's a whole, you know, there's a whole scene with Chiron in that where Chiron is mentoring Achilles and Patroclus. And um, you get the sense with Chiron and the way she writes and it's of course a fictional writing of it, this sense of like the centaur who has been through some serious shit, but has devoted himself to mentoring and healing and guidance and wisdom. And I think that there's something here where one of the things as a Sag son I can say is one of the places I have healed the most is when I have been mentored and then I mentor, or I have been taught and then I teach. Hmm. I learn something and then I teach it. And I think that, you know, um, there's a phrase that's coming up here that's from the, the tapas acupressure technique. My therapist used to use it as kind of a way of releasing some trauma from the energy system. And the phrase is, it happened, it's over, I can relax, I can heal, I can move on. <laughs> and there is a sense where if, like, if you can get to that point, or at least the seed is maybe planted for that point, there's a point where what you're learning now 
you will feel a sense of redemption and hope and joy as in that Jupiter generosity, as you give it, as you teach it out. Mm, and I think yeah. the Jupiter rule signs, it really helps with Jupiter rule signs. And it's personally, it's helped me a lot. I was really identifying with what you were saying on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a little bit with Sages right now too, about Saturn being in another Jupiter ruled sign in their angular fourth house. And just that what you're processing right now has history, right? It's just mm -hmm. that, that Saturn, that, that kind of weightiness of Saturn down at the roots. It's like, yeah, what you, you're processing is personal, but it there's reasons for this that dig down into the well, you know, that mm -hmm. come, come from the ancestry. Anyway, it's, uh, you know, again, for Sages, one of the things that I, I love is that there is, um, you know, you've got Uranus gradually working its way out of the sixth and into the seventh. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, in short time, there's also going to be some really magical relationships in the next couple of years that start coming into the lives of Sagittarians that can um, just also help redeem or restore uh, anything that's been broken. Uranus has this way of just really exciting and awakening things. Um, so yeah. yeah, let's go on yeah. to Capricorn. And I didn't forget, I'm, once you're done, I'm going to add something about Lord of the Rings. I could let you start if it's going to be Lord of the Rings, Adam. I, no, I don't no. mind handing it off. <laughs> no, no. No, you go, and then I'll just okay. I'll just add my little thought in at the end. <laughs> All right, I'm going to resist the the urge to start quoting here, and I'm just going to go with the astrology. All right, so here we go. <laughs> so <laughs> each of us minister in our own time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So what do we do? Uh, you have, all right, so Capricorns, I don't want to mess around with my Capricorns, stay on point. Uh, you have uh, Scorpio new moon in your 11th house, and you have uh, the Jupiter Uranus and the oppositions in your fifth house. This is an interesting one for Caps. I think like, with, you know, I'm looking also at Venus in Libra at the top of your chart. I see this as a kind of rebalancing in some ways of, the things that have the place, the 11th house that supports your career, supports your public facing image in the world, how you're sort of perceived and go into the world. There's a sense of really digging down into the networks that you've created or, you know, the, the, the social groups and the, the, the friends that, that, that you have, the digging down and being like, who's, who's really truly got my back here. And, and, and is there a sense of, um, can I, is there a rebalancing that's happening or a harmonizing that's happening in terms of career because of that? I, I just, that Venus keeps calling my eye. Like there's a sense of like Venus coming into Libra now after all that activity that's gone on through the eclipses and Mars and sort of tying things back together. But with that new moon in your 11th house, there's a sense of a new phase where it's a deeper, maybe more authentic, maybe more true to you feeling of your social connections that also feeds into a rebirth, a refreshment of your personal sense of pleasure, joy, and fun. You know, I, <clears throat> when I work with Cap Risings a lot, Adam, I we talk a lot about the unique ways Capricorns find fun. Like, it's not always like going out to a bar and, you know, dancing on the table. Sometimes it's like I want to read my book about something very intense and important that strikes me in some way. And um, I feel like Uranus here... <clears throat> <laughs> what else do they like? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's make a, a list. Big stack of books to read and then tell other people they read it. <laughs> Look at this imposing series of books I read. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <dude>. Greek tax law. <laughs> you know, you're like, hey, man, you know, if that's fun, you know, 
there's a sense here again you know we were talking about this uh with with cancer risings too of like what really brings you you know what really brings you fun now with uranus in your fifth house i think and jupiter there that also is another way of saying to caps it's okay to relax enjoy experiment the things you never thought you would do or i would never like there might be a little bit of but would i would i never i don't know you know and there's a really nice i i love uranus in the fifth house for that there's a real mm -hmm. sense of exploration and just like you're allowed to experience pleasure you're allowed to experience fun you're allowed to experience things that are out of the box spontaneous those sorts of ideas yeah and now my point about lord of the rings um, finally <laughs> just get to it no that was great i i <laughs> i really like that and what i would say is that so recently um I was someone, I, I taught a class and I was talking about cap rising and I was mentioning that one of the cap rising myths that will shape the character development of an individual born with cap rising is that of carrying a cross. The cross is not yours. doesn't belong to you. It came from someone or something else, but somehow it's fallen to you just like the ring. You have to carry it. And the thing is, is that you have to, not only do you have to carry it, which is in and of itself hard, but you have to make sure that you are not corrupted by the thing you carry. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times for caps, that'll come in the form of bad father karma. Mm -hmm. That'll be one that's a very stereotypical, but it could be a lot of other things. This is like uh, Liz Green talks about earth father karma. So it's mm -hmm. like, it's different than like sky father. It's earth father mm -hmm. karma. It's the it's the weighty sort of burdensome biological, genetic, psychological matrix of, of stuff that you often, somehow it falls to you to, to carry, you know, it's like the, mm -hmm. the weight of the world as an earthy thing. Um, mm -hmm. And caps will have to carry that without becoming like the thing that they carry. Mm -hmm. So just like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings, right? So mm -hmm. anyway, this, this mm -hmm. person in my class who I is a, one of my favorite students because she's been in pro, all the programs for a long time. And I really like what she has to say about astrology. She was like, I felt like you were kind of like, it just, you know, it just, it felt like, uh, you know, we didn't give credit for like the, the joyfulness of like, like what's the like positive mm -hmm. side of Capricorn. So I said, well, you know, think about, I, I responded. I said, well, you know, Capricorns are actually like hobbits. Uh, in many ways, the hobbit is like a, a, an innocent country dwelling child, you know? Yes. And yes. the ring, the ring falls to them, you know, so this mm -hmm. type of individual, because it, it falls to Bilbo, it falls to Frodo, but it falls to a hobbit to carry this thing. And that's the thing is that Capricorns are in that sense, childlike. And we forget that. Okay. We forget that the, the polar opposite sign is cancer, which people are like, oh, it's such a sweet, you know, but actually mm -hmm. Capricorn is the same thing. It just has to retain that same mm -hmm. kind of Cancerian essence while carrying something that can make it feel like they're a hard, cold person. And what happens to Frodo? He starts off as a very jolly hobbit mm -hmm. and who likes his tea and his, you know, his, his comforts very much like a cancer who loves their home. Mm -hmm. But then he has to go out on the road and he has to carry this, this weighty ring. And as he goes along progressively, it becomes darker and heavier and the joy is sucked out and the landscape becomes bleaker and he becomes more and more like the ring. Mm -hmm. And one of the great Capricornian features of that story is that he can't do it alone. 
He has to right. do it with the help of, of a friend, with the help right. of others. So the reason that I was thinking about this is because when you see that really the biggest, brightest thing happening for Caps is a Jupiter-Uranus conjunction in the fifth house, place of joy, happiness, lightheartedness, creative fulfillment, and that there's a lot of, there's a much weightier series of themes in the 11th house. For Capricorns, knowing that this is their psychology, I think to myself, okay, well, you have to make sure that you're not um, become, that there might be parts of what you have to carry that require you to be around people that are, are heavy to be around. Mm -hmm. Colleagues, coworkers, corporate environments, you know, whatever. Co collections of friends you've developed along the way that mm -hmm. give you some resilience because they're carrying heavy stuff. But you have to make sure that the people you're surrounding yourself with, as necessary as they may be, are not keeping you from this childlike, innocent, joyful, creative part of you that actually you have to tend to if you're going to carry this thing successfully to the end. Oh, yes. Preach. Yeah. You got to have the right Preach. people. You got to have some joyful people, too. You got to have some happy, lighthearted people, you know, that kind of thing. And Samwise in, in Lord of the Rings makes it pretty much to Mordor with that attitude. Yeah. Pretty much. He gets yeah. there. He he has that levity, the support, the I'm not the one carrying this, but I see the weight that it's putting on you, but I can give you a little nudge every once in a while and be like, it's it's okay. Yes. We're going to get through this, that sort of idea. Yeah. This is the funny part. So the student I was telling, explaining this, and I thought it was a yeah. great explanation. She goes, yeah, but I just feel sort of disrespected and being compared to a hobbit because they're not serious enough for like a Capricorn. And I was like, you know what, though? That's exactly what a fucking hobbit would say. <laughs> that's exactly what a hobbit would say they would be like i don't like that i'm not being taken seriously you know like they're 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 actually like if you think about hobbits they're actually sort of they're they're very country sweet innocent jovial but they're also real cranky you know they yeah. they, they, they right. like things exactly the way that they like them and must be taken seriously yeah. and it's it's a, that exact little complex that makes them just serious enough to carry it you know oh absolutely and i think we forget a lot of times with Capricorn too about the sensualness of Capricorn that's a yin sign that we you know we get we get very stuck on the sort of the the goat the mountain rather than the the enjoyment albeit maybe in a very fixed way the enjoyment of the simple pleasures is an earth sign the of, yeah. of the earth of the things that just bring pleasure yeah I love that yeah I, yeah totally so you know what's interesting is that Tolkien uh was it was a Capricorn mm. Mm. I could see that. So there's a, there's a lot of Capricorn and a lot of Saturn in Lord of the Rings. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I just think that like, it makes sense. You think, I think he had the Capricorn sun in the fifth house too, which is, mm -hmm. you know, kind of perfect for what we're looking at. But mm -hmm. anyway, so uh, I thought you might enjoy, I thought you might like that. Cause I was, I was thinking about it in advance and I was like, I think Alex is going to like this one. Yes. We haven't either Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. You're always welcome to bring up as many examples <laughs> as you would like. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> my my five-year-old, like we got to, we haven't watched Empire Strikes Back yet. And she's five. And I'm like, Oh, sweetie, I don't know if you want to go down that dark path. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you begin down the dark path. <laughs> yeah, I know, dude. I'm like, but I'm, I'm, she's game. She's like, I can do it. I'm like, yeah, you have Mars in the first house. I know you can. Let's, <laughs> let's saddle up. We're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, like there, magically, there we're back is. to the, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. whatever, yeah, it's got, a, that's it's got okay. opinions. Is, it... <laughs> uh, is this me? Is this you? This is you. No, wait. Okay, so... No, Capricorn. I just talked for so long that I thought it was my turn. That's my problem. Let's see. So Take a fader. Is... <laughs> so uh, we have the uh, new moon 
in Scorpio, for this is for Aquarians in your 10th house opposite Uranus and Jupiter. Now we said something very similar for Leos, which is that we see um, an emphasis on the dichotomy between the public facing part of you and the private sphere. So you get just classic like work stuff and home stuff coming up at the same time. Um, the revolution of Jupiter and Uranus in April in your fourth house is really about providing you with a different kind of space for pleasure, relaxation, comfort, escape, release. Um, sometimes that will coincide with people passing because sometimes you don't feel like you can fully rest while the ghosts of certain ancestral people or uh, their, their energies or karmas are like entangled with your own. It's surprising to me how frequently Jupiter through the fourth house will bring about a, um, a more stable base because ancestors depart. And when they depart, they leave their blessings and their, and their curses are in some ways dissolved. And that's the joy of Jupiter in the fourth house. So Jupiter Uranus could change your ancestral family pattern in some way, or even just your living environment or something about uh, how you take or find rest. And, and I think that's where everything's heading for Aquarians. For Aquarians, this also means that, you know, your sweet spot is to find the earth. Something that happened for me as I have Aquarius in my 10th, Something that happened for me when Saturn went through Aquarius in my 10th house. This was like a big learning experience for me. I realized that I'm one of the reasons why I'm an astrologer is because I tend to climb up some invisible ladder in my head and look at everything from this like 20,000 foot engineering perspective. It's very astrological, but it is also just about trying to see the big picture and plan and see everything from this big macroscopic point of view. And um, basically what happened while Saturn was going through my 10th house is I realized that that if I do that too often, it exhausts me. Mm. It dissociates me for one thing, but it, dissociation after a while is exhausting because the body is like the scaffolding that you're climbing up, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. I'm climbing this ladder that is my body to look out some periscope <clears> at the top of my head and my body's supporting me doing that all the time, but it's getting neglected because I'm I'm supporting something, but I'm not coming down and supporting what's supporting. You know, I'm not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was like this big thing for me while Saturn was in my 10th house in Aquarius. Um, that eventually led me to saying, I can't be in a religious tradition that emphasizes a lot of, transcending of the body. Yeah. Right? I just like, that's yep. not, that's, that is really harming me actually. Yeah. So I had to climb back down into like my bio suit, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, mm -hmm. yeah. in, in the earth. And that is, that's Taurus in the first, my body yeah. with Aquarius in the 10th, but it's not much different when you have Aquarius in the first and you have Taurus in the fourth, because the fourth is called moksha, which means liberation what does liberation look like for an Aquarius whose body tends to be more identified with that climbing up the, the scaffolding thing? It looks like getting back into your body. That's where you find the freedom. So the freedom for, I see for Aquarians coming, especially as Pluto's entering your first house, Pluto is primordial. It's not a, you know, it's, you know what I mean? It's deep. Instinctual. So, it's yes. instinctual. Yeah, that, that, yeah, exactly. It's so interesting out. you say that Adam, because, um, you know, when I do when I do energy work with people, and you'll see people who tend to be very Aquarian, air sign ruled in a lot of ways, 
their their vital energy is usually way up in their head. They are very in their head in a lot of ways, and their mental activity eats up a lot of energy. And right. so it's that re-embodiment. It's 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 also powering your body in a lot yes. of ways and bringing health back to your body of like letting your prana, your chi, your vital energy move back down all the way down into your feet. And it's you know, I mean, Taurus here, one of the signs that often represents embodiment, the body at the base of your chart with Jupiter there, nice kind of mm -hmm. weighted Jupiter sitting there. That's a really beautiful way of describing that. I love that. And I think it's also setting up too, you know, with the Scorpio new moon, I just can't stop looking at Pluto in the 12th house, finishing up the 12th house for you guys and moving into the first, because I feel like there's a, there's a reordering of how you're perceived both from your first house and from your 10th house, a sort of deeper look inside of, um, you're more in, like we were saying, instinctual, primordial um, power mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily based on the rational intellect. It's much deeper than that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> if we if we think back to Capricorn, to Pluto and Capricorn exiting the twelfth house for Aquarians, it's sort of like, well, you made it to Mordor, you dropped the ring into the pit, and now, you know, what does the new world look like? Which is also the new you. Um, because as Pluto moves into the first, it's sort of like the ring quest is over. And now it's like, well, what does middle earth look like? What ideas yeah. will preside over or bring forth the, the, the new birth? You know, it's actually one of my favorite parts of Lord of the Rings is after the ring is dropped in that whole part, geniusly written part of what's the aftermath of that. Yeah. How do you now inhabit that world that's yeah. seen that happen? Yeah. And, 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 you know, for Aquarians, they might be on the ship with the elves too. You never know. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Last but not least, you've got Pisces. All right, Pisces. So we have uh, the the Scorpio new moon in your ninth house. We have the Jupiter Jupiter and Uranus in your third house. Um, <clears throat> I could see this as a one of the things I think that's important for Pisces, and this actually is related, I think, to Saturn moving into your first house too. Is it's okay to be aware of darker, more subterranean, maybe more challenging aspects of the way you might see the world. Um, and I see that as your this new moon. The, the, the way you put the world together may not always have this sort of the sheen on it that Pisces often like to have. That you know, there are realities in the world and in you know the way we put the world together that often can be quite challenging to look at. But you have, I think, you know, I just keep seeing Mars and Scorpio here as an ally in that regard. That there's a way of sort of digging down, boring down into your belief system to see <clears throat> is your belief system based on something that you know kind of feels good, feels nice, looks nice, or is it really, but is it, does it have a solid basis in something that feels true to you, authentic, resonant, deep, and that that could bring some big shifts and changes just around your everyday world in, in this third house with Uranus there. Um, and I like that Jupiter's co-present with Uranus and, you know, as we've been saying, you know, Adam's been saying Jupiter is going to make a conjunction with Uranus next year. Jupiter tends to bring the better angels unless it's really jacked up. And I think that there's a real sense of in the third house here, this ability to reorder what surrounds you every day, even if that's just in your mental world in a space that doesn't feel like it has to be uh, either, you know, disembodied or out in the transcendental realms, but also has a grounding in something that feels very, very resonant 
even if getting there feels a little challenging to get there with that with that Mars. Yeah. Love that. <clears throat> I like this one to be like if you flip it from what we said about Virgo, and I mentioned that things in the environment slowly slowly shake up the whole paradigm. And I would flip this to say that there's um, maybe what's happening is very, uh, very subtle, slow, drawn out changes in bigger systems. For example, being introduced to a powerful new idea as an astrologer or a new technique or, you know, uh, a new meditation practice. If you if you do yoga or something like that, it's like something on the sort of macro level that's shifting around studying something new comes to mind a new practice a new technique a new maybe even a new experience um, of through traveling or something but it's it's some kind of uh shift that's happening in the ninth house that actually in time is going to create <clears throat> massive changes in your everyday environment mm -hmm. for example sometimes people um th this is something that happened to me in a very third house ninth house series of transits when i was in graduate school that i was being introduced to yoga um, I started writing for a publication called Reality Sandwich. Um, and basically what happened was, um, you know, changes in what I was really interested in philosophically. Astrology came in at that time mm -hmm, too, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. Big new ideas and systems of knowledge and stuff were coming into my life. Well, <clears throat> that had the effect of... I started doing uh, meditation as an everyday practice, yoga as an everyday practice. Yeah. I changed my environment. Like I got rid of my TV. I, you know, like the artwork in my environment changed. So it's funny how sometimes, you know, the, the everyday environment, little subtleties change in the ecosystem and then they create a paradigm shift. But sometimes mm -hmm. it's like big stuff you're getting excited about trickles down and changes the way your everyday environment looks or what you do day to day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, how I would, that's how I would see this playing out. Like right now, there's something being stimulated around your beliefs, your uh, philosophies, learning, et cetera, that in time by April is going to have a huge impact on what day-to-day -day life looks like or what the environment around you looks like. Really interesting six months to carry a journal, to just keep little notes, because sometimes even those third house shifts are so subtle, but then you look back, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Where was yeah. I six months ago, you know? Yeah. You know, Pisceans right now, are carrying that Saturnian weight. And, mm -hmm. you know, in a water sign in the, in the first house too, I think like it is a really good time for Pisceans to be asking big questions. Mm -hmm. You know, like I love this energy in the ninth house for, even if it's a little tumultuous or it's, it's like somewhat provocative, like, what do you believe? You know, I feel like that's sort of, if, if I had to like personify it in a voice, like, what do you believe Pisces? <laughs> you know? like, Pisces is like, I, I don't know all of it. Right. So it's everything, man. I don't know. <clears throat> everything everywhere. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just enjoying the spin art tip. I'm just, you know, like, <laughs> really good I, spin I, art tip. <laughs> <laughs> I, I joke, we joke Pisceans are uh, in, I, I have like, it was funny because at the wedding, I found myself engaging with a cousin that I hadn't seen in a long time. Mm. And I was like, are you, I was guessing that she was a Sagittarius, you know, and it's like, turns out she was a Pisces. And I was like, that's mm. funny. Like, why do I always get that wrong? It's one of the ones I always confuse. I'll always think when I'm talking to a Pisces that I'm talking to a Sag. I get that, mm. that confusion, like all the time. Suddenly I put it together. I was like, you know, the difference between her and a Sag would be like, just broadly speaking, that 
as I'm listening to her talk, because both are Jupiter ruled signs that love to talk. At least a lot of Pisceans can really like, they're really fun and like, and get, you know, she had Mercury in Pisces too, I think. So she was like really super all over the place and in the mm-hmm. best way possible. And she's like, you know, but it, it, she was also completely observant of how I was responding and was like adapting constantly, but with this big Jupiterian energy. I was like, Sad just can't do that as well. You know, it's like it, if I would have picked up on how sensitive and impressionable she was to my responses and reactions to her big energy, I would have known that she was a Pisces. So I thought that was really interesting. But my point is this, when you're, when you're a Pisces, you know, Saturn, you're very impressionable, but don't, my, my message for Pisces is like, don't let it bring you down. You know, like, yes. like you, you, it could almost feel like you're getting some kind of negative feedback because Saturn's in your first house. But, you know, it's almost like if, a, if you put a Pisces with someone at the table and they're like unresponsive and boring and cold and negating somehow, it could really make a Pisces feel terrible. You know, mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. Get up and, just get up and leave that table, my friends. You know, right. like, you don't have to. That's what the Sages do. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Right. Sages fucking leave. <laughs> you're an asshole. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Pisces is like, but you're suffering. So I guess I'll have to sit here and suffer too, you know. No, I'm I'm kidding, but like I, I'm just my point is that <laughs> my point is that when you're carrying something heavy like that in the first house, it's an opportunity for you to adopt whatever beliefs you need to cling to happiness and and like uh, your jo- your best jovial qualities. If right now the opposition across your third and ninth can lend itself to a more confident, happy buoyant um mental state then go for it don't feel like you can't do it just because i don't know saturn's hanging out in your first house giving you the impression that you aren't entitled to to believing or thinking in a way that is more conducive to your happiness absolutely and that you have you know if you can take a lesson from professor sagittarius over here is that you don't have to involve yourself in everybody's energy that's Mm -hmm. why you know it's just like that's they're just having their thing you can just go off and you know do do what you want. Now, trust me, you can get into trouble with that. As a <laughs> I do what I want. Why is he such a dick? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. Give yourself Sagittarius's message. Give yourself the comfort of being a dick. You can do it. Give me the comfort. Just, yeah, just being like, <laughs> you can do great. it. You ever see a Silver Linings playbook with Jennifer Lawrence and, and yes. Bradley Cooper? Uh, There's that good. scene where she just gets up from the table and says, I'm bored. I want to go home. And leaves, and I'm like, God, that's a sad at a dinner party. If I <laughs> yeah, <ever totally>. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, yeah. what, but, but dear Pisces out there, um, we get to the end, and we're like, we're like all punchy because we get to your your sign, and we're coming around the almost across the finish line. Don't be offended; we love you. We do. So, anyway, um, we hope that this has been useful for you. Um, and that you've gotten laughs and insights uh, for your month ahead. I want to tell you how you can learn more about Alex's work. You can find him at alexamorosi.com where you can book a reading or healing session with him. He is a talented energy healer as well as an astrologer and yoga teacher. You can also find him on Instagram at alexamorosihealing where he also creates regular astrological content and is a really fun person to follow. So make sure you check him out on Instagram as well. Alex, thank you so much for being here again. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Adam. I just fucking love you. This is so much fun every month. I look forward to it. Me too, for sure. Well, everybody, thank you so much. We hope you guys have a great month ahead and we will look forward to seeing you next month. Take it easy, everyone. Bye, Bye, everyone.